here to there. I am here. God wants me there. How do I go from here to where God wants me to go, which is there? Now, I'm quite a logical thinker. I think, well, if I'm here and God wants me there, it's a straight line. I just go, and it's so easy and smooth, and I walk along, and life is just fantastic, and here I am. I am now where God wants me to go. But reality is, it goes up and down and back and forth and forward, and sometimes I go backwards, and I am here. God wants me there. How do I get there from here? And we're going to be looking at biblical principles from the book of Exodus and how we can apply them to our life so that we can get there where God wants us to be. Our principle for today is this. And every Sunday we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. And today's principle is this. God knows me and has the best plan for my life. God doesn't just have a plan for your life. He has the best plan for your life. Very brief background of the book of Exodus. It's 40 chapters in the book of Exodus, and we're going to be going through them, not one by one, but we're only doing this over six weeks. So we're just going to scratch the surface. So my challenge to you is to read the book of Exodus over the next month. Take a chapter or two a day and read through and get an understanding of the flow of the book. But we're just going to scratch the surface today. We're going to look at a man's life named Moses. Really quick history. Abraham was Moses' great-great-great-great-grandfather. And God spoke to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, go to a land I will show you, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And here's a real key. And through you and your descendants, the entire world is going to be blessed. Of course, that's Jesus Christ. Through Abraham and his wife, they had one son that had two sons, and then one of those sons had 12 sons. And of the 12 sons, fast forward a couple of hundred years, and no longer is it just 12 sons with their wives and children. Now it's literally a couple million people are in Egypt. And they moved to Egypt because of God's protection of them. And, but the new Pharaoh comes along and sees them and doesn't know the history there and sees these people that are foreigners and gets intimidated by them. So he begins to kill the newborn babies. They oppressed them and put them into slavery. And then through that, the people began to cry out to God. But God, in chapter number two of the book of Exodus, did something quite miraculous and remarkable. He spared a young boy's life in really a a, a way the total sense of humor of God. When a boy that should have been killed at birth was spared at birth and hidden in, in the river was discovered by the princess of the land, and she brought this foreigner Israelite little child into her home and raised him as her own. That's God's sense of humor. What should have been a dead slave became a prince of Egypt. And Moses took things onto his own shoulders. Chapter number two gives us about 40 years of history in one chapter. And we have his birth, his, li- his later life as a 40-year-old, he sees the oppression of the Israelite people and, and wants to do something about it and tries to liberate the people and himself ends up murdering one of the Egyptian gods. As a result of that, runs away into the wilderness. Then chapter 3 comes along. It's 40 years later between chapter 2 and chapter 3. After 40 years in the wilderness, tending his father-in-law's sheep, he met a man, he married his daughter, Now he's taking care of the sheep for the previous 40 years. You imagine, 
You go from being a slave to a prince to a murderer to running for your life. And you're thinking through, oh, what could have been. Oh, the plans that I had, the things that I wanted to do. Let's begin reading in the book of Exodus, chapter number 3. Again, the time set is Moses is an 80-year-old, young, fit man. He's still working for his father-in-law. He has a history. He has burdens. He has probably embarrassment of his past. He has a history as a murderer. He thought the world had forgotten about him. Verse number 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. That's an ancient Israelite way of saying, wow, this is amazing. But he goes, I will turn aside and see this bush. Verse number four, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses Moses. God had not forgotten Moses. He knew who he was. You imagine going through life and you've been tending these sheep for the previous 40 years. You know the routine of life. You know what's around the next bend. You know where the best grasses are, where the water is. If there's danger, you know how to take care of it because you've done it many, many times. And you've never seen a burning bush that's not being consumed by fire ever before. And all of a sudden you walk up to it and your name is called out. God had not forgotten about Moses. The world had forgotten about him. He had probably written himself off. God had not forgotten. He knew who he was and he called him by name. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. We're going to walk through our points this morning very quickly. And our five points are God sees, God hears, God knows, God comes. And we're going to really seek to apply practically in our life the final God sends. But it's right here in this passage. Now, outlining this passage was really easy because it laid it out perfectly. And it's just basically exactly what God said. And we're just rephrasing it and sharing it with you today. At the end, I'm going to seek to apply this to our life and make it practical where you are. But all the way through this, I want you to put yourself in Moses' sandals, as it were. I want you to put yourself in his position and relate it to where you are. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I remember my past. If anyone knew exactly who I really was and the burdens that I've, and the, the hurt that I've caused, the sins that I've committed, if they knew who I was, they wouldn't like me. I have to keep it all hidden. You imagine carrying that around, not just for days or weeks, but for 40 years on your shoulders. And God comes to him and says, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. Let's continue on in verse number seven. We see the first point is that God sees. Verse seven says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. 
They had been ruthlessly put into slavery. In chapter 1, it says they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. The end of chapter number 2, it says the people cried out to God. And here it says God sees the affliction of the people. Maybe you think to yourself, well, of course God sees me because he knows everything. He sees everything. He knows everything. But when you stop and personalize that, you ever stop to think that actually God doesn't just see everyone collectively. He sees you as an individual. He sees who you are. Going on from that, he not only sees who you are, he hears. That passage continues on. The Lord said, I have heard the cry, their cry because of their taskmasters. God hears. And that gives us a great deal of confidence to know that people that know Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we pray, God promises to hear our prayers. It's not like we're just talking and hoping that He catches on a couple words or hoping that if I just you know, power of positive thinking, if I just pray enough, you know, I'll change on the inside and my circumstances will change. It's something absolutely incredibly humbling is that when you and I pray, we are talking to the creator of the universe. Now, I know we're in church, so it's like, of course that's the case. We already know that. But you ever stop to think about that? Maybe when you can't sleep at night, you start thinking about the big things of the world. Recognize that when you pray, you're talking to the creator. And it gives us confidence. In 1 John chapter number 5, in verses 13 and 14, it says, I write these things to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing to, to people that have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ in order to give them confidence in that relationship. And verse 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. What an incredible privilege it is that the God, the creator of the universe, not only sees us, but he hears you as an individual. Going on from that, we see in this passage that God is explaining this to Moses and explaining this to you and I. He sees the burdens. He sees the pain. He hears our cries for help. And he knows all about it. That's our third point. He knows and I think the word knows there is just a scratching of the surface of our understanding because like, I know about something. Uh, you walked in today, I'm meeting you for the first time, and I said, hello, my name is Michael, and then you say your name. Now I know your name. Do I know you? Well, not really. I know maybe one thing about you. God doesn't just know who you are because he knows your name. He knows who you are as an individual. He knows who you are deep down inside. And that shouldn't make us cringe. That should turn around and go, thank you, God. You know who I am and you still choose to love me. He knows our suffering, our pains and our hurts, our abilities and our inabilities. And verse 7 says, I know their sufferings. He called Moses by name. He knew exactly where Moses was going to be. He knew Moses' history. He said, I'm the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He knew all about his history. He knew all about his sins. And he still says, I can still use you. The next part is God comes. God sees the problem. He hears the cries. He understands and knows all the emotions and the feelings and the intricacies of the situation. He knows the intricacies of your life. And he doesn't just go back and go, oh, that's nice. 
There's lots of problems that we know and we see in life that we may know about them. You may understand them cognitively in your head, but it's different when you actually say, well, I'm going to come and to seek to solve that problem or to solve that, that hurt. That's exactly what God does here. In verse number eight, it says, this is God talking. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. 1 John 4, verse 14 says, The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. It's a nice flowing verse. It's a great verse to memorize. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You think God looks at the world and He understands the issues and the problems. He sees it, He hears it, He knows it, and He's given us the solution. It is not in church. It is in who we worship at church. It is Jesus Christ Himself. The Father God sent Jesus Christ to the earth to die on a cruel, cruel cross, to be the Savior of the world. Now that world there, we often think of collectively of the world. How about you personalize that for a moment? The Father, God, the creator of the universe who has no beginning or end, sent His Son Jesus to be the Savior of, and then you put your name in there. God knows who you are. And he's come to earth to save you from your sins. That's what we celebrate every single Sunday. We celebrate that salvation that we enjoy through Jesus Christ. And we invite others to join us in that. He gives us a message of deliverance. He says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now what it doesn't say there, it doesn't say, I have come down to just to show them a better way to live. I've shown them a better way to live morality in, in this life, or I've shown them a better way to interact with family. He says, I've come down to bring them up and to, to totally deliver them. That's what he's done with, through our salvation. He hasn't come just to show us a better way to live life. He's given us total deliverance. It goes on in verse 8 and it says, I've come down to bring them up out of the land. God didn't send Jesus to come to earth to die on the cross, to make the payment for your sin, and to leave you where he found you. He doesn't save you from your sins to go, see you later, I'll see you in heaven one day, go work out life for yourself. Had God spoken to Moses and said, I see, I hear, I know, I've come. Moses, go work this out for yourself most unkind thing God could possibly do. And you imagine the emotions going through Moses' mind. It only takes half a millisecond to, for all these emotions in, the, in your stomach to go and tighten up. God is talking to you, and he says, I've come. What's the next thing God's going to tell Moses? Verse number 10 says, God sends. He says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You imagine the emotions? Imagine all the thoughts going through his mind. And can you relate to that? Because God's prompted every single one of our hearts in, in various ways. And how we respond is really the key. Whether we respond in faith or in fear. God has prompted your hearts to do things that are far beyond your natural ability 
And you may think to yourself, well, I can't do that. And your stomach gets all tight and it's uncomfortable and you begin that cold sweat. And your mouth gets all dry and you begin to stutter and you begin to think through, I can't do this. And I believe one of the most powerful prayers that we can pray is, God, I can't do this. But that's not the end of the prayer. But you can. Moses hadn't come to that point yet. He was still in the point of thinking through, how am I going to do this? How am I going to go back? How am I going to explain this to my wife? And all these things going through his mind. And he and goes on, and verse number 12 is really the key to this entire series of here to there. And verse 12 God says, but I will be with you. You imagine how unkind it would be for God to say, go work out life for yourself. I'll see you in heaven one day. He doesn't do that at all. He's given us the Holy Spirit to mold us and to shape us and to convict us and to guide us into all truth. Thank God for that. The Bible describes a still, small voice. That still small voice of the Holy Spirit is often a shout in my ear of don't do that or go over there and talk to that person. Thank God we don't have to do that by ourselves. Moses had three really common excuses. We see in the end of chapter three into chapter number four. And his first excuse is, and maybe you can relate to these and personalize these really good excuses. Then we'll see God's responses. The first excuse is, I'm not important enough. We all think we're important. We're just not important enough to do the things that God has called us to do. I'm not important enough. Chapter 3, verse 11 says, But Moses said to God, Who am I? Isn't it amazing the instant humility we get? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Then verse 12 says, this is God's response, But I will be with you. Life is terrifying without God. Eternity is terrifying without God. I can't imagine a week of a Sunday with church without God's presence. I've often said there's only 52 weeks in a year. We don't have one week to waste because every week we're anticipating that God's going to do something in someone's life. God's going to bring someone into church that needs the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to, need to place their trust upon Christ as a Savior. They need to be baptized. They need to follow Christ through discipleship. There's always something along the way. But we often think to ourselves, well, God, you can't use me because remember my past? Remember 40 years ago what I did back then, the failures of my past? Who am I? Can you relate to that? The second excuse that he uses before God is, I'm not smart enough. Again, incredible humility. We instantly say, God, I'm just not smart enough. I guess you have to use somebody else. Then Moses answered him, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. He's talking about going back to the Israelites in Egypt and they're not going to listen to me. Not only am I a nobody, but I'm not smart enough to convince them. And he goes on and, and he says this, For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Now, I can appreciate this. Can you imagine have, him having to go back and tell his wife, Oh, yeah, how was your day today, dear? Oh, not bad. I saw God. I talked to God. That's never happened before. You imagine trying to convince, and how am I, I going to explain this to my wife? How am I going to explain this to this entire nation of, of Israel? How am, I going to, how am I going to do this? It goes on, and this is the real word of encouragement. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a staff. 
And he goes on in that passage and explains that he uses that staff um, to perform some signs and wonders, and he throws it down and it becomes a serpent in order to give him validity behind his message. And throughout the account of Exodus, he uses that staff often as a showing, and he puts it into the Red Sea and it parts, and he does performs a number of miracles with that staff. But here's the real key behind that. Don't go and get a stick and carry it around and going, this is my staff, I'm going to use it. That's not the point of this. He says, what is in your hand? God has already given you enough resources, enough knowledge, enough opportunity to be obedient for today. Tomorrow, you need to learn. Because kids, you're not going to use this excuse when you're like, sorry, pastor said that I don't have to go to school because I already have enough knowledge. That's not what I'm saying. You have enough knowledge to be obedient for today. Tomorrow, you get to go to school and learn more and to continue to grow and to develop because we're on this journey from here to there. God has given you enough resources, enough opportunity, enough smarts to be obedient for today. Don't use the excuse that you're not smart enough. He's given it to you. The third is, I'm not skilled enough. Verses 10 through 12. This is Moses again. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh Lord, I am not eloquent. Either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Now, reading into this, he says, either in the past or since I've spoken to your servant. I think it's totally legitimate to be talking to God in, the go- in this burning bush and to be stuttering along the way and, and mumbling through your words because it would be absolutely terrifying that God, the creator of the universe, knows who I am and he's talking to me and he wants me to go to Egypt, um, back to Egypt. That's terrifying. So he says, I'm stuttering now, but not just I'm stuttering now. I always stutter. I'm, I can never talk well. And he's using, basically, he's trying to use a really good excuse. He says, I'm really bad at this. You ever try to use that excuse, I'm not skilled enough? Well, God, why don't you use somebody else? They're much better than I am. If God's prompted your heart and given you an opportunity, you have the responsibility to, with either faith or fear, either you're going to stand still where you are or move backward, or you're going to allow God to work in you to move forward. And here's a real key that's going to be a challenge for our entire church. When God prompts your heart, you have the, the opportunity to use it as an excuse. Either it's the excuse of I'm not important enough or I'm not smart enough or you say I'm not skilled enough. Maybe somebody else will take care of it. You imagine what our church would be like if every single person took that attitude. God had prompted you with opportunities and abilities and time and resources to do exactly what he has for you. If he's prompted your heart, you now have in a positive way. And this is not my words. I believe it's from God. The responsibility to accept that challenge and move forward. God says in verse number 11, here's the real key. When you say you're not skilled enough, the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who made you? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. He's telling them, I know exactly who you are. I created you. I created every single person on earth. I know exactly what their abilities are and their inabilities. And I am giving you enough to be obedient for today. That takes away all the good excuses. Like Moses, after this time, he had the opportunity now to go back and live it out. He, in the short term, he went back and talked to his father-in-law, Jethro. Can you imagine that conversation? I was out in the, in the fields today with your sheep. And God talked to me. 
Thank God for a supportive father-in-law who believed him and sent him on. Imagine going back and talking to his wife and saying, Dear, I talked to God today and we're going to Egypt. Thank God for a supportive wife. They were together on that. He went back to Egypt and he talked to his brother Aaron, who he hadn't seen for 40 years. And through that, they talked to the people of Israel. And here's a real key in verse number 31. This is the end of the chapter in chapter 4. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and seen their infliction, here's the real key that we're going to do in just a few moments' time. They bowed their heads and worshipped. When we recognize that God has a plan for your life to take you from here to there, the natural response is to say, thank you, God. And we simply worship, showing God his worth. So as we go out this week, imagine how different your life would be, how different your family would be, our church family, our community would be if every single one of us simply did what God has prompted your heart to do. Three questions for you, and then we'll close in prayer. Where is God sending you? How will you respond in faith or in fear? And the final is, will you say yes to God? Maybe you need to place your trust upon Jesus Christ as your Savior. In your bulletin, there's connection cards. On there, you can mark there. I'll make an appointment with you. We'll sit down with the Word of God and show you out of the Bible how you can begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to be baptized. On the connection cards, the area for baptism, mark that. We'll make an appointment and we'll set up a time to baptize. I would happily baptize somebody every single week, even when it's cold. Because it's so important. In other words, I always tell people, we man up when we go in the water because we're not going to show it's cold. The temperature doesn't really matter. We want to see people grow and take that step of faith. Maybe you need to be discipled. We use that connection card as an opportunity to communicate with us. And you can place it in one of the blue offering bags at the end of the service or hand it to myself. Why don't you stand with me as we close in prayer? And thank you for coming today as we celebrate the 8th anniversary of our church. And we're going to end in a a word of prayer. And as I pray, I'm going to invite you to pray in your own minds, asking God to work in you to work through you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your love and your care. Thank you for loving us and knowing the beginning from the end and still loving us. You know our abilities and our inabilities because you created us. Lord, as we go out this week, Lord, I pray that as opportunities arise, that we will not use the excuses like Moses used, but we will know that you will be with us. And we'll use that as as a source of strength as we go out, that we will go out with strength and with power, sharing your love with our community. And Lord, also I pray that you will touch hearts, that you will change hearts, that we will see people saved, that we will see people baptized that we will see people growing in their relationship with you. And through that, we will in turn worship you the way that you want to be worshipped. In Jesus' name, amen.